0: Please stand for the reading of God's word. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of our God stands forever. Mark 6, verses 45 through 56. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on the mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed in (laughs) Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. The gospel of our Lord. Praise, Praise be you, to you, Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. Thank you. Dear. You may be seated.
1: It's okay, because I still can't pronounce Lafayette, or Lafayette, or however we say it around here. Um, You guys know, most of y'all know that this is the first Sunday of uh, Pastor Eric being on sabbatical, and I just want to acknowledge that again and and remind you to be praying for him and his family for their rest and their recuperation, uh, for their time together, and, and his time with the Lord during that time. So uh, I want to acknowledge that and, and just say, now we're, uh, now that he's out of here, just kidding. No, we're, uh, we're starting a new sermon series uh, in Genesis. And so um, would you pray for me as we jump into this passage? Father, we are thankful to be together today. We're thankful for your mercy. Goodness gracious, we're thankful that you uh, don't hold it against us when we show our weaknesses by forgetting things. Um, and even when we sin by running away from you, abandoning you, we thank you that you um, you still come to us. You still are close to us. You're still God with us. We pray that you would uh, give us light as we look at this passage. Teach us what it is you want us to know. Change us in the ways you know uh, we need to change. Amen. So I like this passage has in it, it names my greatest fear. The Hebrew word for this is to home. And it is one of three words that I remember from seminary. So uh, uh, the other two are coming next week. Um, The Hebrew word for this is to home. Uh, Has anybody heard of the Mariana Trench? A lot of you who are smart have others. It's okay. Good. Uh, that was another joke. So the Mariana Trench is the deepest place on, in the ocean. All right, it's 36,000 feet deep. Libby knew that. Boom, you got it. Yeah, that's it. It's, the de- it's, it's 36,000 feet deep, which sure, take whatever. I don't know, that's too big in numbers. Just to put it into perspective, if you took Mount Everest and lifted it out of wherever it is and put it in this new place, I'm just kidding. <laughs> It's in Pakistan, right? (laughs) And put it into the Mariana Trench. The peak of Mount Everest would still be a mile point two underwater. That's how deep this thing is. Here's my greatest fear. You put me on a boat. You drive me to that place against my will because I won't want to do this. And then you throw me out of the boat with nothing and you leave. And then I can't see land. I don't know what's going on. This is, there's 36,000 feet of water beneath me. And you know we have better maps of the surface of Mars than we do of the ocean floor. There could be anything down there. I guarantee we haven't found all the monsters yet. There's way bigger monsters in, in existence in our ocean. We just don't know. But that's the hard part, right? You don't know. Like there's, you can look down and you can't see because it's dark. And there could be anything under there. It could be a giant monster that hits you with one bite. I don't know. Or it could be some strange little tiny fish that swarms like piranhas. And they just nibble at you until you're all gone. Or, maybe worse, you just are there. And how long is this going to take? And you're treading water and you don't know. That is terrifying to me. It's one of those things that makes me like uh, my spine quiver just a little bit, just to think about it. That is the home, That is chaos. And ever since humans started telling stories that element has been part of them, the tahome, the primordial, bottomless pit of chaos. So I think I'm in good company when I'm afraid of that. I think it just means I'm in touch with my humanity. Which I, can, I can feel good about that. But I think that's true of most of us, that, that, that really, at, at core... Because humans are meaning-making beings, we make meaning out of our lives. That's one of the ways we reflect God. We want to impose order on, our, uh, on, on the places around us, on the circumstances of our lives. And that is why, to prove my point, you will hear the most awful things in crisis. If you've been through one recently, you know this. When chaos hits... When cancer comes, when there's a, there's a death of someone you love, when there's a, when there's a, a division and a deep relationship, you're going to hear the absolute worst things. Because we cannot deal with chaos. We can't deal with the fact that I can't explain your cancer, and so I'll just give you some platitudes about it making you a better person. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger or something like that. It does not belong in a song. It belongs like thrown into the pit of chaos. Never say that ever again. We hear the worst things at those moments because people are so, they, they must impose meaning. They either say something awful, almost always, or they just abandon it. I can't be near that. That person is in chaos. That's why grief is such a lonely experience. Because not only are you in chaos, you can't make meaning of this. You can't understand it. It's darkness. It's, it's, uh, I, I don't understand what's happening here. Not only is that swirling around inside of you, but the other people are saying, that's like a disease, and I can't get anywhere near that. I'm a meaning-making person, and chaos is not my thing. And so they pull away, and they distance themselves. Chaos Can we turn this down just a little bit? Sorry, Finn. You only get caught out when it's not working. I recognize that. (laughs) Sorry. We're thankful for you, brother. Chaos is is one of the worst fears of humanity, always has been, and what our God engages right here. Um, What is Elohim, the God the living God revealed in the scriptures have to do with this to home, this bottomless pit, this primordial sea of chaos. I'm going to put a, put pause on that just for a second and then set up a little bit of how we're going to, of, of Genesis before we jump down um, to the, to the text proper. Genesis, these first chapters especially set the stage for what comes after in scripture. And they, um, Genesis is written not to 21st century people, okay? If this was written to you and me, then, the, then these passages would have God saying things like, and may there be gravity that would govern the movement of all celestial beings and, uh, and keep people squarely on the earth, and, may there, and and I will set the speed of light as the upper limit of movement and speed. You know, that would be what would happen if we, if this was written to you and to me, but it's not. It's written to different people. And it's answering their questions, and they were not asking how. This is a who passage, not a how passage, okay? If you want to ask how about this passage, it's like standing before a great painting, a great work of art, and only looking at the the technique and the brush strokes and how they must have mixed the paint. There's something okay about looking at that, but you're going to miss the impact of the art. This is art that's supposed to impact us and challenge us and shape us. It's not a how passage. It's who. When a pastor comes into a presbytery, there's this, uh, there's this um, interview that's called hazing. No, I'm just kidding. It's, not, it's called a Transfer. <laughs> transfer that's the right word Freudian slip so um so they ask you a bunch of questions They just want to make sure you're going to lead the sheep faithfully you're going to be you're going to teach accurately the scriptures and so a mine which Eric went to me uh went with to me and he sat in on which was wonderful of him because it was a hard ordeal and they asked so this is one of the things they really burrowed down in so what do you think of creation stuff and I said I, I don't know I said, what do you mean you don't know? Which of the major views do you hold to? I don't know. How do you not know that? Well, and I said, well, I mean, I'm not trying to be uh, awful here. I don't think Scripture is talking about that. I want to be really firm on the things Scripture is really firm on, and that's the character of this God. But I don't think scripture is trying to tell us how things came about primarily. And science certainly isn't firm on this. The science is all over the place on how things came about and where we are and all that stuff. So why would I try and be really firm about something like that? Mostly, I'm telling you that's the wrong question to bring to Genesis 1. Okay? Not how, but whom. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Victor Hamilton says the deepest commitment from this passage is that God and God's creation are bound together. And it will not be analyzed or explained. It can only be displayed and confessed. It's not going to be analyzed and explained. It's only going to be painted like a beautiful picture to impact you and to shape you. So what is happening in this very short passage today? What is happening? The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, the to home and darkness. So if you, again, this is not written to us, if you're uh, originally, it was written for us, but the original audience, if you read those words, this is exactly the reaction that you would have. You would hear in your mind this little do doo do do you know what that is? This is the final countdown. And when I was a kid, the Bulls were the best team in the NBA for a lot of years. Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Steve Kerr, they were dominant. And that is the song they played before every game. And you just knew something amazing was about to happen. You were going to see some like cataclysmic basketballing. It was going to be great. And that is what you hear when uh, you live in the ancient Near East thousands of years ago, and you hear the darkness, and you hear the tahom, the bottomless pit of chaos is covering over everything, and you hear formless and void. You hear these things. This is about to be a big rumble. There's a God, and there's this chaos. This is going to be awesome. But you're going to have to wait till next week on that one. But But the primordial deep was always a part of these stories. Always a part of these stories. Because chaos is the thing that we cannot abide as humans. We can't take it. I had a friend in seminary. Um, when we were in seminary together, and, uh, and he, was, uh, he was in seminary. He was working part-time. I mean, working part-time or full-time. Uh, and then... Um, and he had two little, little girls, very young. Um, and he had, during those years, he had a nervous breakdown at one point. Um, I don't think it was the girls in the seminary. I think it's because he was living with his in laws. I'm pretty sure that was it. That was the main contributing factor. Um, just kidding, in laws are great. So, uh, so he, he did, though. He had a nervous breakdown. It was really bizarre. It was hard. He couldn't, um, I still don't understand it. I was very close to him. We spent a lot of time talking about it, it was very confusing especially to him. Um, and as we processed it, you know, weeks and months later, and I was asking what was that like for you? What was, what, what was going on? Um, and, he, and, you know, as uh, something, something big like that happened, there were all these after effects, these, these ripples, you know, that, like uh, shockwaves that just kind of continued for months for him. And, what, and this is the thing that he said that stuck with me. He, he said, you know, my, my fear right now after I've experienced that, that kind of like unmaking of myself. My fear is that someday my girls are going to be crying, or my my daughter's asthma is going to kick up, and she's going to be coughing and coughing, and I can't I can't fix it, I can't change it, I can't stop the crying, I can't stop the noise. It'll get louder and louder, and I will actually go mad, and I'll never come back. I will lose touch with perspective that one day they're going to stop crying. Right? I'll lose touch with that perspective. I will lose touch with who I am. I will lose touch that I have a relationship with these girls. And they are more than just noisemakers that are driving me crazy. I will lose touch with that. And I will spin off into madness all alone. That is terrifying chaos. That is the tahomes. And that is exactly what is described as, our, uh, as the Spirit of God was hovering over the Tahome. He was in darkness and over the Tahome. Our God is over the chaos even as he is in darkness. So you've got Elohim, this God who's revealing himself, and general nastiness, general anti-life existence going on. Psalm 104 says this about God. He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. Pause. There's another passage that's been asked to be a how passage, but is not a how passage, right? The earth does, in fact, move. We know this scientifically. But the church didn't know that years ago, and they tried to make that a how passage and went after people who said, No, no, the earth revolves around the sun. No, it's fixed, it doesn't move. That's what but it's a song. You don't have to ask that of this passage. He set the earth on its foundations, it can never be moved. You covered it with the watery depths, with the tahome, as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains, but at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set boundaries they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. You see, our God is displaying himself and showing himself to be above the chaos. He is stronger than the chaos. The Spirit hovers. Here's the picture for that. When I was in middle school, we um, uh, my youth leader was named Rod McLean, and he took a lot of us on this thing that churches used to do called mission trips. Until this book got written, and now nobody does them anymore. Just <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. It's an inside joke. But we did do the thing you're not supposed to do. We went and did all this work and like, so that local people couldn't have the job to do that work. We did it all wrong, and we're, uh, we, you know, that needs to be fixed, and I'm glad it is getting fixed. But we went on this mission trip, junior high boys and, and girls, and, the, and we stayed in Atlanta in July in this school building without air conditioning. 30 little boys sleeping on sleeping bags in a school room, no A.C., you want to talk about anti-life conditions? <laughs> Giddy up! It was rough, but Rod he clears away all the sleeping bags that one that first night were there, and he uh, he stands there and he just issues a challenge. I bet you can't move me. And he like he gets down, he's like, <coughs> on all fours, and here comes like Luke Perry screaming across the room and just wham, <laughs> nothing. He doesn't move at all. And then, and then like David Henderson, the biggest, strongest, he was like one of those guys that was shaving in fifth grade and he comes (laughs) running across and like double leg drops rod and nothing like he doesn't move. That's the picture we get that our God is so much bigger and stronger than this chaos. He's utterly firm and dependable in the midst of chaos. How do you deal with chaos in your life? you know the question for us in this passage in this passage for as we make it individual as we bring it into our lives is do i live in the tahome do i live in a place of utter chaos and darkness Are there answers? Is there order to this life? Is there a meaning? We see our God over and over in Scripture as powerful over the sea of chaos. In a few chapters, God will, in judgment, take away those borders and allow the Tohom to flow back over the earth. But he will preserve humanity through Noah. He'll preserve his creation through Noah. And in the aftermath of that, he will bind himself more tightly to humanity through a spoken covenant with them. Israel, as they exit Egypt you ever seen some, like one of those study Bibles that plots their route out of Egypt? It's really hard to route. Nobody really knows where they went because it says, a good translation of what they did is they crossed the sea at the end of the world. That's like primordial, like epic language that the author is using. They had to go through the chaos sea that God put boundaries on and moved back. And when they go to the other side, he binds himself to them in a covenant and he gives them his law. And he says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And even in the story that we looked at, the disciples are terrified, but Jesus treads over the sea of chaos. He is over the chaos. At night and darkness, he walks out to them and he gets in the boat and the wind and the waves stop. And another episode, Jesus says to the wind and the waves, peace, be still, and they obey him. The waters of chaos obey our God. It's nice to know that our God is powerful over chaos, but how do I know? How do I know that he won't allow the waters of chaos and darkness to cover over my life? How do I know that he's trustworthy to not lift those boundaries and let that water overflow me again? How do I know I'm not going to be swallowed by meaningless darkness? How do I know in the midst of my greatest grief that God hasn't abandoned me to chaos and solitude? Because we serve a God and Jesus, who has walked on the deep, he shows himself powerful over the deep. And at this end, on the cross, he was given over. The flood of chaos and darkness overtook him in his death, and he was all alone crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He asked questions. He asked a why question on the cross, and he was buried in the tomb, enveloped in darkness, so that you never have to be so that when you ask why, your God is there, and he says, I am over the chaos, and I am for you. Do you know what happens in all these stories of God over the chaos? All these stories in God over the chaos are new creation stories. He, uh, he saves Noah through the waters of chaos, and, he, and it's a re-creation story. He re his words to Adam. Be fruitful and multiply Everything is crisp and new and clean. When Israel crosses over, He binds Himself more tightly to them and He calls them, in a sense, His new Adam. His new start. God is above the chaos and in the darkness and He is for me and He is recreating me. And then on Revelation 21... We have this picture. Whenever we read Genesis 1, we need to be keeping in mind the end of Revelation particularly. We have this picture of the new heavens and the new earth. And don't miss this. There is no more sun or moon because there's no night. Because God himself is their light. There's no more darkness. And it says this, Revelation 21. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, new creation, and there was no longer any sea. Chaos is done away with, uncertainty is banished, meaninglessness has no place in God's new creation. There is no more to home, no more sickness. No more untimely death. So what new creation is he bringing out of your personal darkness, out of your to home right now? What has he brought out of your chaos? We're about to celebrate this meal that for Jesus was a covering over of his life. The chaos waters enveloped him so that you can know that your God is with you, that he is for you, that he does not abandon you. Let me pray as we move towards this supper. Heavenly Father, we are thankful to be your people today because this life is meaningless without You.